Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Ben Hume, head teacher of St. Paul's Church of England Primary School, a small village primary school nestled in the heart of Swanley Village. Ben, hello. Hello, how are you? Very well. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to appear on the podcast today. Um, we might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? I think the word leader is um, a word that shows how somebody can respond to a situation or an environment that they are in uh, and draw people together. For me, it's all about how you can get the very best from the people that you work with or that you're surrounded with. Uh, for me, in my context, it's uh, for staff that are teachers or teaching assistants, office staff, and the children. Leadership is for everybody in the school. How would you describe your personal leadership style? Uh, I'm quite laid back, so I like people to uh, really take their own initiatives and to run with ideas and things that they have. Um, I really believe that, that family is the heart of, of leadership for what we do here. So I'm really keen that people take the opportunity to spend time with their families um, and to, uh, to to drive their own leadership in that way so that everybody feels involved and empowered. Now let's uh, talk about your particular situation. Of course, as a leader within a primary school, you don't have just one group of stakeholders. You have two or three, really, the pupils, the staff, and your parents, of course. Now, do you need to employ different leadership techniques with each one of these groups? Yes, I think you do. I, I really do. But I think uh, you can still be a, a genuine and kind person when you're, when you're dealing with uh, those three stakeholder groups. You can, you can still hold your leadership values to heart. Uh, but the way that you respond or you react to different stakeholders uh, will vary for the three of them. Now, of course, uh, dealing with people, uh, leading people, uh, isn't always easy. Uh, people aren't always at their best, and they're certainly not infallible. How do you handle conflict within your particular workplace? For me, I believe that if there's a difficult conversation to have, then, it, then it's best to front it up and to have it. Um, I, you know, I believe that nobody comes in, particularly to education, to, to do a bad job or to do something wrong. And for me, it's all about working together with people to get to a solution that, that is the best one. So it's, it's around speaking to them. It's around training opportunities. It's, it's modeling if need to. So if it's a, a concern I have around teaching, then I'll be in the classroom supporting and team teaching. If it's a, an admin or an office issue, then I'll try my best to support and to show what the outcome that I want is so that people can, can learn in that way. Uh, so it's, it's, I'm not a shouter. I'm not someone that will jump up and down and get upset. But I will try and, and lead and guide and help people in partnership. Well, let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out your working life. Were there any particular individuals or circumstances that shaped the way that you lead today? Absolutely. So the, the first head teacher, when I was a newly qualified teacher, a uh, man named Derry Wiltshire, he was uh, an outstanding head teacher, had been at the school for over 20 years. And his uh, mantra, his leadership mantra was all around people. So he uh, built relationships, very strong relationships with everybody around him. And he was kind, caring, genuine, and he wanted to do the best for every single person, every individual that was involved in the school. 
Um, and he, he took a common sense approach, and that's something that I've tried to do as a head teacher and a leader, is to just use common sense. Uh, and if you have a genuine and good understanding of common sense, then everything else falls into place. So he, he is someone that has inspired and continues to inspire me throughout my career. It's always good to hear that people have these particular individuals in their life that really, really give them a good foundation. Do you try and pass on his notions to your pupils and staff today? Absolutely, yeah. So, so the, the school that I lead now is feels very similar to that first school that I was in. We, as a staff team, laugh every single day, and I think that's really important that you get on. Uh, we are a very small team, so there's there's 15 of us in total, and that includes teaching assistants, office staff, and the caretakers and cleaning team. But we all genuinely get on. We all want to do the best for each other and for the children at the school, uh, and we like each other. And fundamentally, I think that's that's really important that you're working with people. Uh, that, you know, I, I spend more more time with with the people at work than I do with my my own family, so my wife and two children. Um, and it's really important that you that that you come to school and you have a good time and you work hard and you, you do the absolute best that you can. Well, something must be going right at St. Paul's because you've managed to take the school from having a requires improvement uh, Ofsted score to a good score. Uh, is that a hard transition process within the education establishment? I think the the school had a uh, checkered history uh, prior to my arrival, um, and and there were some very difficult times for the staff here. Fundamentally, the staff haven't changed. Um, uh, who are at the school, the, the staff that I inherited. So there are good staff working hard. It's for me, it's all about relationship building. So so doing the very best that I can do to make sure that the the children feel happy and that they're doing the right thing, that the staff feel happy, and that the parents are on board with what you're doing. And, you know, my, my door is quite literally always open. So if there's any point where a parent has a concern or a question, I'm out the front on the gate talking to them. They know that they can email me or phone me. And if possible, I will speak to them straight away. A lot of what we do is, is around supporting everybody uh, and, and making their voice heard. And I think if people feel back to being empowered if people feel empowered and they feel that you know their, their voice is truly heard by everyone at the school then they feel really good about what they do what's your advice to young people looking to take up a career in teaching it is the best job in the world it is different every day you work with the most amazing people you know children are and it sounds cliche but children are the future and and I love the idea that we at St. Paul's offer opportunities where, where children feel that that is a, going to be a career for them. So if we have a photography exhibition and, and even one child thinks I'm going to be a photographer when I'm older, that idea that we have we have led that enthusiasm is, is so exciting. And, and as you move through your teaching career and, you, you know, if you get into a position of leadership, then you get to, to work more closely with adults and that is a completely different perspective on life. And, I, yeah, yeah it, it's something that I would highly recommend. Now, of course, uh, leadership comes in many different forms. Uh, but if I was to ask you to objectively identify the one single greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Oh, a very difficult question. Oh, I know. Um, a very difficult question. The greatest leader. Uh, I, I think it's got to be someone uh, who has really held firm to their beliefs and someone that, that has really lived out their values. So I'm thinking someone maybe from a, a, a 
football's perspective, Alex Ferguson, someone like that, that mm-hmm, has, mm-hmm. has really, you know, stuck firm to what they believe in. And and also, actually, yeah, I'll say with Alex Ferguson, the, the idea that he, at Manchester United, you know, led led that team, led that football club for such a long time and had such great success. And, and you know, re- reading about him since his retirement, where he put his faith into other people around him, that resonates quite nicely with what I do here. So I fully believe that everybody has the chance to lead in an area that they feel passionate about. And and that's something I think he did. Of course, Ferguson uh, provides such a good example for people. And in fact, he seems to come up in this in this context almost as much as I hear uh, the name of Churchill or uh, even Gandhi, uh, yeah. because it is uh, is such an access- accessible uh, subject matter um, and a, a way of which uh, providing leadership on a scale that isn't life or death. Uh, it is a uh, it is a leadership uh, characteristic in the everyday, which is what is important really in society because we're not all going to be great wartime prime ministers or leaders of uh, independence movements. We're going to be leaders in our communities and in our in our businesses. So uh, Alex Ferguson's a fantastic example. Now, it's almost time for us to put our pencils down. But uh, before we get to that, what does the next 12 months have in store for St. Paul's Church of England Primary School? So we literally at the end of January had our most recent Ofsted report, and that was very successful. So it's about thinking for us what's next. What, what do we do con- to continue to be the very best school that we can be for the 111 children and, and families that we've got here? So it's about good test outcomes for children. It's about offering wider opportunities and experiences. And it's about, for me, continuing to retain the fantastic staff that I have because retention and re- retaining staff is, is one of the biggest, I think factors that schools are facing at the moment is is around keeping, developing, nurturing, and training really, really strong and good staff. Um, so for me, it's around keeping the team that I've got together uh, and doing that in the best way that I can. Well, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that you come back on the program at some point in the near future. Ben, thank, thank you. you. That was Ben Hume, head teacher of St. Paul's Church of England Primary School. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps 
a, a footballer, but um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership uh, well, I do. I do understand clearly. All walks of life, leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you, that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? 
well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alfred Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who, who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, it, maybe overly strict. But at the time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be you know, be involved in the squad initially. 
Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's." Uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had, looked, had a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever. Which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we, um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want, you want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I had a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> What a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, a laugh that day. 
if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. 
I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back, uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially. And that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the... Um, uh, Getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time, and I wouldn't. And when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great and players. You- we have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, 
and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.